Welcome to the Wandering Bard Podcast. episode of the Wandering Bard podcast. I figured I'd start off by talking about one of my favorite tunes called The King of the Fairies. This tune is one of the very first ones that I learned on the fiddle. And I first went to Ireland a couple years ago. I knew this tune and maybe about 15 others. And I tried to play in some of the very intense sessions around County Clare, which is on the western part of Ireland. And County Clare is kind of the home to Irish traditional music, a lot of people might say. And uh, it was very naive of me to think that I'd be able to go and play in some of these sessions only knowing that many tunes. So for context, now I know about 300 tunes, give or take, and there's some sessions that I'll go to and I'll be able to play most of the tunes, and there's some sessions that I go to where I won't be able to play at all. And usually what I do in those is I just end up drinking a lot of Guinness and chatting with people. I always thought this was a really cool tune, And I like to think that now it's a bit of a party piece for me. So when I first went to Ireland, I did something called Fiddler's Retreat. And I stayed with a lady named Teresa Bork. I stayed in her home and you do a week-long retreat of lessons that are pretty intense. And she really helped me develop this tune. And if anybody is interested in doing something like this, if you just Google Fiddler's Retreat, it's usually the first thing that comes up on Google. Teresa's an amazing teacher, a very gracious host. She has a beautiful home, and it's right on the outskirts of the town. So you're kind of away in this like peaceful little home, surrounded by the mountains of Ireland. And then you can also just go, it's a one or two minute drive into town, and all the sessions and the things that the town has to offer. This tune is very spooky, kind of haunting or creepy, if you will. It's in the key or mode of E Dorian. And if you want to check out some recordings of this, you can check out bands like the Dubliners, Kevin Burke, the Irish Rovers, and there's a band called Horselips who also covered this. They were kind of around in the 70s or 80s, I believe, and they were kind of on the fringe of what people might consider traditional Irish music. They did a little bit more, they put a bit of a contemporary spin on it, we'll say. They used kind of electric guitars and a full drum kit and stuff like that, but they cover traditional Irish music. They were very interesting. I've heard this tune played as a hornpipe, which usually kind of has a bouncier type of step, or a march, which is a little bit more straightforward, or even a step dance. One of the cool things about this tune is that it seems like it gets a lot of leeway when it comes to artistic interpretation. Uh, which is good or bad because it's always kind of fresh and new whenever you hear it everyone's kind of got their own version but when it comes up at a session you really need to pay attention to see how the person starting the tune is playing it and kind of you need to fall in and adapt to how they're playing it a couple interesting things of note is if this tune is being played for dancers as a traditional step dance it would be played at about 138 beats per minute but for non-traditional step dances, it would be played a little bit slower, around 76 to 110 beats per minute. And the reason for this is the difference in speed is because non-traditional style has more footwork, so you can't play it faster. There's just uh, too much stuff for the dancers to do. I've also seen it stated that the dancers might generally ask that an additional A part be played 
to get a feel for how the musician is playing it. So most frequently I see this played as A-A-B. So they might ask uh, someone who's playing for them to play A-A-A-B. Just for reference, when dancers refer to the different parts in this tune, the A part is typically the step and the B part is the set. Now, I'm no Irish dance expert, so if there's any dance experts out there and I'm speaking incorrectly about this, please feel free to correct me and uh, I'll make sure that that is noted on a future podcast. That being said, I am starting Irish dance lessons in about a week, but I'm only kind of learning it so I can see how the dance relates to the music piece because Irish dance music is dance music and I feel it will make me a better musician if I can learn kind of both sides of it, at least just a little bit. As far as this tune's history, it seems like it first appeared in a collection of music by a man named James Aird in 1783. And the name of the work where it was collected in, it was called Aird's Airs. Uh, James Aird was a Scotsman who was running a music shop in Glasgow, and that's kind of where this thing took off from. It was originally called something different. It was originally called Bonnie Charlie, or possibly King William of Orange, Britain's Glory, or The Lonesome Wedding. And you can YouTube the last one, The Lonesome Wedding, and you can actually really hear the similarities between that tune and The King of the Fairies. The association of the fairies with Bonnie Prince Charlie possibly came around because of either his battle flag or an allusion to some of his more effeminate tendencies. I did look around to try and find a picture of his battle flag so I could put it in the show notes, but I wasn't able to find anything that had a fairy on it. So this tune was either named after his more effeminate qualities or just something else entirely. This tune is frequently played with another one called The Rights of Man, which is an English tune, which kind of explains some of the origins of it, but it is still very closely associated to the Irish tradition. In terms of the Irish history of this tune, it was first found in a collection of works by a man named John Edward Pigott. He collected the set dance in Ireland in 1840, where it was published under the name Your Old Wig is the Love of My Heart. There's an interesting piece of lore associated to this tune, which I only recently found out. And this is that it's considered a summoning tune in some circles. It's said that if you play the correct version of this tune in the right order at a party three times, the fairy king himself will appear. He'll judge your gathering and either stay to partake with you or basically say your party is really lame, cause a bunch of mischief, and leave, presumably leaving you in a very awkward position with your friends. Uh, it does seem this may be a bit of a more contemporary addition to the history of this tune. Side note for those of you listening who may be more historian than musicians, I'll often refer to works of music as tunes or songs. Tunes are just music, and songs have lyrics as the general guideline. Uh, confusing the two might cost you a fiver at your local session, so if I save you the trouble, feel free to pay it forward to my Patreon page. So who is this king in question? Much of this information about these fairy kings are going to come from a website called CelticWeddingRings.com that has actually already gone to the trouble of answering this very question. The first candidate is a fairy named Finvara, 
who had a pensions for mortal women. And the Tuatha de Danann, who were kind of a mythical race in Ireland at one point, they were forced to flee due to the Milesian invasion of Ireland. But Finvara stayed behind and came to a truce with the invaders, and they said he could stay in Ireland as long as he remained underground, which he did. And he ended up building a bunch of massive cities underground and got a bunch of power. There's a second fairy whose name was Alil that I couldn't find very much about. Uh, apparently he was very tall, which is, I guess, not traditional fairy height. And he also had red hair and wore a gold diadem on his head. Next, there is Lubdan. He was very boastful uh, because him and his race of Phelan, which are kind of wee folk, they were so small, they actually thought the rest of the country of Ireland were giants. As Lubden had a habit of proclaiming his greatness, the poet of the court became fed up with his attitude and told him and his wife about Ulster, the land of giants, and their porridge. And Lubden was kind of so arrogant that he was keen to prove his greatness to the king of Ulster, so he decided to travel north. His goal was to sneak into the giant's porridge and eat some without being seen. And... Unfortunately, him and his queen became trapped when they fell into the giant bowl of porridge. And the giants, they took the two of them to this place, Fergus, and he, they kept them there as prisoners. And he eventually released them in exchange for the fairy king's prized possession, which was a pair of magical shoes that allowed the wearer to walk on water. It's alleged that Jonathan Swift may have based parts of Gulliver's travels on this. Next up, we have Medir, Noted for his long green cloak, a brooch of gold, a shirt woven with gold, a spear with rings of gold, and several other gold ornaments. Madir was married to Fumnak, but left her when he fell in love with Etain. The jealous Fumnak turned Etain into a fly and sent her away from Ireland's fairy hills. Etain was blown across the country for seven years until she was finally flown back and landed in Fumnak's wine goblet. The queen swallowed the unfortunate fly, but after nine months inside the queen's belly, Etain was reborn, grew into a beautiful woman, and married the king of Munster, Yokid. When Madir discovered the whereabouts of the love of his life, he traveled to Munster and challenged Yokid to three games of chess. While he lost the first two, he won the final one, and he asked for Etain as his prize. Yokid was reluctant, but allowed one kiss. However, Madir flew away with Atain, the two transformed into white swans joined by a golden chain. Finally, we have Oberon. Famously known as the King of Fairies in William Shakespeare's A Midnight Summer's Dream, Oberon is married to Titania, the queen of the fairies. The couple quarrel because Oberon wants to raise a changeling child as his henchman, but Titania wants to raise the child as her own. The two fairies are so powerful that their arguments affect the weather. He possesses a magic cup that is always full when held by virtuous people, and in the fantasy, Oberon is actually the child of Morgan Le Fay from King Arthur and Julius Caesar. Again, credit to CelticWeddingRings.com for the summary of the fairies. So something I didn't know when I first started researching this tune was that it is actually based on a song and it has lyrics. It was written by William Ailingham and published in 1850. The song lyrics are as follows. Up the airy mountain, through the rushy glen, we daren't go a-hunting for fear of little men. We folk, good folk, trooping all together, green jacket, red cap, and white owl's feather. By the craggy hillside, through the mosses bare, 
They've planted thorn trees for pleasure here and there. Is any man so daring as to dig them up in spite? He'll find the sharpest thorns in his bed at night. High up on the hilltop, the old king sits. He's now so old and gray, he's nearly lost his wits. He's rising with the music on the cold starry night to sup with the queen of the gay north light. So, without further ado, here is my version of the King of Fairies. So as I said before, my version is a little bit more of a party piece, so to speak, and it differs from what people would probably consider conventionally traditional. But again, I think this tune is cool because it lends itself to some artistic interpretation, so to speak. Thanks for joining me for the first episode of the Wandering Bard podcast. I'm certainly new to this, but I definitely like to think of myself as a servant to the public. So if you have any ideas or suggestions, I'd be happy to hear them at a tale for an ale at gmail.com or The Wandering Bard on Facebook. Check out thewanderingbard.co for more of my artistic endeavors, like The Local Project, where I collaborate with musicians and artists to create community-oriented art that helps people see all the beautiful little corners of the world. If you might be interested in joining the project or know a good candidate, be sure to let me know. You can reach me again at ataleforanale at gmail.com or Brandon The Wandering Bard on Facebook. I do have a Patreon page, so if you're interested in helping out contributing to the local project, or want exclusive content or some of the other awards I'm offering there, that's certainly open to you. Thanks again for listening to the first episode, and until next time, be bold, be kind, and safe travels, wherever your wandering takes you.